Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our copies of God's Word and turn to the New Testament book of Colossians. Colossians chapter uh, 3, rather, verse 17 is our starting point today. Uh, We're in the middle of a four-part series called A Thousand Hills. And today we want to look at the fourth and final sermon in this series called The Biblical Path to Fiscal Responsibility. And that is a uh, very politically correct way of saying God cares about how we spend our money. And so today we're going to talk about probably one of the most personal things anyone could ever talk about, and that is how we spend our money. Um, What I've discovered in this series is there's way more content in the Bible on the subject of stewardship than we could ever hope to cover in four Sundays. But I hope and pray that these messages have been edifying to the church family And it caused all of us to think about the stewardship of God's resources that he entrusts us with. I have in my Bible a bookmark that many of you have. It was uh, issued several years ago at the completion of our vision committee's work in which they brought forth six commitments that our church was going to use as a grid uh, as we make decisions in the future. The very first of those six commitments is solely Deo Gloria, that we do everything to the glory of God. And the second is faithful stewardship. And so uh, it's likely that we'll hear more messages about stewardship over the next few years because that's one of the core commitments of our church. It's certain you're going to hear more about doing everything to the glory of God. And so speaking of that, let's read our text this morning, Colossians 3.17, which says this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of this, his word. Now, I know our normal way of preaching is verse by verse through long books of the Bible. That allows us to go slow and get down to microscopic detail. Obviously, we're not going to be able to do that today with just one verse. In fact, today it's a jet tour. Think about it that way. From 30,000 feet, looking down on all the Bible concerning what it has to say about how we spend money. So I wanted to begin here in Colossians 3.17 as a launching point because uh, some of you may be wondering, does the Bible have anything to say about how we spend our money? In other words, does God even care how we spend money? Well, I would argue that he does care based on the biblical teaching that we just read that God cares about everything we say and do. He says, whatever you do and say, do it in the name of Christ. And so the management of financial resources requires much of our day-to-day energy, doesn't it? Living today, uh, we're constantly in the process of working to procure income so that we can meet the needs of life. We're thinking about retirement. We're thinking about saving. So it stands to reason, because God cares for us, that he would have something to say in his revelation about how we spend money. In fact, the more I've studied, the more I've realized that stewardship is, in fact, one of the great themes of all the Bible. So with that established in our time remaining this morning, I want to give you four pegs to hang your financial hat on. 
That is four sub-themes of the overarching theme of, of stewardship. Remember, our definition of stewardship is God owns everything, we own nothing, but we are his managers of all the resources that he puts in our hands temporarily. So let, let's take off on this jet tour with point number one. It's this, we are to spend money thoughtfully and prayerfully. Spend thoughtfully and prayerfully. Now, you need to have the right mental state when it comes to spending. This life does not consist merely of accumulating and accruing possessions. Jesus said as much in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions. And so, so there's about three truths from that one verse. Number one, don't think for one second, Christian, that anything you can purchase with money will ever bring you any real satisfaction. Don't ever think that. So, so get your thought process right as it relates to spending money. Number two, understand that money is necessary and not evil. We saw this last week. Don't misquote the scripture to say that money's the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money's morally neutral, can be used for great good or, or great evil, but it's necessary. This is how our society functions. Uh, Jesus never look down upon the reality of our human needs. You know that? He simply said this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The things are the things that we must purchase with money in our economy. Food, clothing, shelter, the basic needs of life. Now, I wanna reiterate something I said last week. Needs are real, but need and greed need to be differentiated, right? God has promised to meet our needs, never promised to meet our greed. So we must be thoughtful how we spend money. And so basically, God's economy concerning money is this. This is what he says to us in, in generalities. Number one, spend money to provide for the needs of your family. Scripture says if man doesn't take care of his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. And beyond that, we are to use, after we've met the basic needs of life, money to minister to those who are less fortunate, to the needy and to the impoverished. Thirdly, we're to use our money to support and invest in those things that promote the kingdom of God. And in the New Testament context, primarily the way that God works in the world is through his local church. And so I would simply say, invest in the local church. So whatever you do in word or deed, this includes how we spend our money. So we need to be thoughtful, we need to have wisdom. We need to practice discernment. Because in the modern world, choices of how we can spend money are almost limitless, aren't they? You ever go to the supermarket to buy a loaf of bread? Honey, go down to the supermarket and buy us a loaf of bread. Well, there must be 50 different varieties of bread. We live in a culture where choices are everywhere. Now there are 50 kinds of loaf bread, there's 50 kinds of everything. And so, Mom and pop corner stores have given way to supermarkets and supermarkets have given way to warehouses full of things to buy and it's sometimes sensory overload because of all the choices of how to spend a finite amount of money. And so the question for believers is, what should we do when faced with any decision that requires discernment and wisdom? Well, the Bible says we should pray. James 1 verse 
5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God cares how you spend your money enough that he invites you to pray and ask his wisdom in the process. So we pray for wisdom. So the way in which Christians spend money should be both thoughtful and prayerful. But I would say this, when it comes to spending money, Christians should be prayerful, but not paralyzed. What I mean by that, this is paralysis by analysis. You've heard it called. Should I buy this car or that model? Should I eat this food or, or avoid that food? Should I live in this neighborhood or that? And, and there's so many choices if we're not careful. We don't want to violate God's word. We want to be wise and prayerful. But listen, I've said this throughout this series. Aren't you glad, aren't you thankful that there is great freedom in Christ? The new covenant is not a long list of rules and regulations. It is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit leading us to all truth through a mind that is prayerful and informed by God's word. Now listen to our text again. Whatever you do in word or deed, you might put in parentheses, including spending money, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You're constantly reminding yourself that the ability to buy these needs of life is from God, and he's promised to give you wisdom to apply that, and he's not given you a long list of rules and regulations, but he has given you his revealed word. And so I would put it this way. When you are faced with the decision about spending money, a good question to ask yourself is based on that first principle of our church, soli deo gloria. Will this purchase, can this purchase bring honor and glory to God? And if the answer is yes, and by doing so, it's practicing good stewardship, make that purchase and listen, sleep well. There's liberty, there's freedom in the Lord. Now, 1 Timothy 6, 17 says this, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So there's some prohibitions there, right, as it relates to money. And by the way, it says instruct those who are rich in this present world. That's all of us. It's all relative, right? But every statistical category you can name, uh, if you are an American and you're living in Keller, Texas, you are in the top one half of 1% worldwide, I can assure you. So this just don't even wonder whether this includes you. If you have three meals today, this includes you. We are rich in this present world. So we're prohibited from being conceited. That is to think we deserve it or we earned it or to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We have some set aside. That's what I'm trusting in. God will not take second place to any idol, especially money. So, so that's the litmus test. If you're not Trusting in the riches, but you're trusting God, you're using the blessings he's given you for his glory, then you can rest assured you're being a good steward. Because here's the truth. God delights, the scripture says, in meeting the needs of his children. Just like you do, right? If you're a good father or mother, you don't begrudge your children when you feed them a nice meal. In fact, I, I would guess this. I bet it's you're not satisfied with just giving your children the bare minimum caloric requirements every day, right? 
you don't sit down with a calculator. So this child is uh, about four foot seven, weighs 72 pounds. They need 1,600 calories to make it till tomorrow. That's all you're getting. God gives us not only the basic needs of life, he's promised that, but quite often he gives us well above and beyond that, doesn't he? Just like you do for your kids. The scripture says, how can you being evil, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, evil by comparison to God, give good gifts to your children? Even sinful people, lost people, delight in meeting the needs of their children. How much more your heavenly father? So don't trust in possessions. Be generous with your money. Follow God's principles and commandments in the scripture and then enjoy those blessings. Look what he says. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, comma, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to what? Enjoy. And so don't trust in the things, don't trust in his provision, but view them as a gift from him and enjoy them with a clear conscience. So spend thoughtfully and prayerfully. Secondly, save strategically and systematically. Remember, we're talking about overarching 30,000-foot view of what God says about Christian stewardship. Now, last Sunday, we looked at the sin of hoarding, and I believe hoarding is a sin. And I would define hoarding as gathering and gathering more and more possessions and money without giving any away and sharing with others because we don't trust God to provide in the future. Now, I said last week that there's a great difference between wise saving and hoarding. So I want to tease that out a little bit. Saving, hear this, is not a sin. In fact, it is encouraged in the scripture in many places. In fact, we're even told how to save. Number one, we're to save strategically. That is, with the mind of putting away in our high earning years and seasons for times that are leaner. That is, don't consume everything you have as soon as you get it. I can remember just thought of this just now. First job I ever had, working on a construction crew, and we had some guys who were working with us, and they were roofers, put on shingles, and they were excellent at it. Um, but they didn't know how to manage money at all. And so our boss paid us every Friday at 5 o'clock. And they would go cash their check, not deposit their check, they cashed their check, and they spent everything they had, many times on illicit things. And then they would show up to work Monday, not morning, afternoon, asking for an advance for Friday to buy groceries because they had consumed everything in two days. That's the opposite of what we're talking about, saving strategically. In fact, God used strategic saving to spare the nation of Israel. Do you remember when Joseph was told by God that a famine was coming and he bought up grain and stored it for those lean years. That's what strategic saving is. But to do so, you have to have a plan. Proverbs 6, 7, and 8. Go to the ant, you lazy one. Observe its ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares its food in the summer and gathers its provision in the harvest. That is, you gain and save in the rich times so that you can hedge against the lean times. Proverbs 13, 11 in the ESV talks about saving incrementally and consistently. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gains little by little will increase it. 
Now, we all know people that they don't save, and they don't save, and, and then they start getting older, and they're not able to, to work as much as they can. And so then they become easy victims of scam artists and get-rich-quick schemes because they're trying to make up for the time they've lost. Listen, Christian, you ought not be like that. First of all, you ought to be discerning, but you ought to save systematically, little by little, not consuming everything paycheck to paycheck so that there is enough in the leaner times. Here's something else I'd say about your strategy and my strategy for saving. You ought to have a finish line in your saving. That is, you need to sit down and be thoughtful and prayerful about um, your life. A lot of people I know are scared to death that they're going to live longer than their savings last. And, and that's, again, kind of what the advertising industry bases on. You, you, you know how much you need. You need a little bit more, right? But you need to sit down with your spouse and have a plan. And don't just save and save and never have a plan of investing any of it in the kingdom while you're alive. We're going to talk a little more about that at the end of the service. So save incrementally, save strategically, and, and save systematically. Thirdly, oh, now we're getting very personal. Use credit rarely and wisely. What does the Bible say about the use of credit? Well, there are some who believe uh, that all credit and debt is sinful. And if you have a personal conviction about that, I'm not going to try to talk you out of that. I can't find in the Bible where it says all debt and credit is sinful. There are lots of warnings, though, about credit and debt. First of all, the Bible assumes the reality of it, that people are going to be borrowing and lending money. Psalm 37, 21 says the wicked borrows and does not pay back. So I think implied there is a righteous person, those who know the Lord, when they borrow should pay their debts. Would you agree? And so a basic principle about borrowing money is pay it back. But there are pitfalls and dangers when it comes to debt. Proverbs 22, 7. By the way, Proverbs are wise say, right? We're going to study the Proverbs through the summer here starting next week. Here's a wise saying about debt. Proverbs 22, 7. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. If you've ever gotten behind on your bills, find it difficult to, to make all your obligations at the end of the summer, you feel like you're in prison, don't you? And this is exactly right. The borrower becomes a lender's slave. So don't be enslaved to anything, Christian. You've been set free in Christ. The Bible also forbids the misuse of credit by both the lender and the borrower. There were lenders in the ancient world, just as there are today, who prey upon people they know can't afford this and will never be able to pay it back. And so don't be a victim, but also don't be an abuser for those who need to borrow. The Bible calls this the sin of usury, this sort of unjustified uh, sort of, of lending, and it's forbidden many places in the Scripture. There are also many rules in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, about lending to the poor, that is not taking advantage of them. But with that said, as I read the Bible, again, I can't say that the Bible clearly states that all debt is sinful any more than I could say that drinking alcohol is always sinful. And I would love to say that because you and I have all seen the destruction that drinking alcohol um, has done in our own community and many of your families. But the Bible doesn't prohibit the drinking of alcohol always. 
I do think that's preferable and safer to avoid both those things, debt and alcohol. But I must admit, the Bible points out there's some good uses for both. In fact, uh, Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for your stomach's sake. There are medicinal uses of alcohol. Um, but I think like alcohol, the use of credit should be rare and should be used with great wisdom and great discretion. Now, let's get really practical here. Um, I think it's a wise use of credit if you can get a very low interest rate on loans for appreciating assets. And I'll let you in on a little secret. My wife and I have a mortgage on our house, but it's at a very, very low rate. In fact, our house and yours, if you got your tax form in the mail a couple of weeks ago, is appreciating very rapidly. And so I think sometimes it's a good use of, of debt um, to buy an appreciating asset. It's a foolish use of debt to buy things that are going to be worthless in a year. Things like clothing and vacations and, and things that there's nothing tangible to, to show for. And we're talking about the practical side of, of good stewardship. So, so don't use debt to buy things you know you don't need and you certainly can't afford. And so in generalities, and that's what we're talking about today, in generalities, use credit rarely and wisely. Those are two words to remember. Now there's a fourth peg we can hang our fiscal hat on this morning. And this is the one I really want to talk about. As it comes to spending money, give generously and joyfully. Again, the New Testament doesn't give us lots of rules and regulations, percentages about how to give. It just says give generously and joyfully. First of all, the Old Testament, Proverbs 19, 17. One who is gracious to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. And so one of the things we deal with constantly up here, Brother Lawrence and I primarily do with benevolence ministry, people come in off the street and they have a story to tell. And we have to decide, is this legitimate? Does this person really need help? Or is this person trying to scam us? Because we know we live in a world where people do that, don't they? And so we kind of lean on these verses. We're not God. We can't know everyone's heart. And so if we're going to err, we're going to err on the side of generosity because we trust the Lord who says, one who is gracious to the poor person lends to the Lord and he will repay him. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. This verse we read a moment ago. And then he says this in verse 18. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That as a Christian should hold their resources very loosely in their hand. Recognize that it's not ours anyway. And we are to use it as the Lord calls upon us very readily. 1 John 3, 7. But whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? The scripture says we're to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. We have a special obligation to help meet the needs of Christian brothers and sisters in genuine need. So give generously, trust the Lord, and then give with an attitude of joy. Give joyfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, the classic verse each one must do just as he decided in his heart. Don't you love that? Paul didn't prescribe whatever person is supposed to give. He says, each one must do as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
For God loves a cheerful giver, one who takes joy in using God's resources to advance his kingdom. Acts 20, 35, in everything I showed you that by working hard and in this way you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so there is true joy and blessing that accrues to believers who hold the world's possessions loosely, use them generously, and for the advancement of God's kingdom. So give generously and give joyfully. Now, here are some truths that I want you to jot down. Number one, being a manager of God's resources is serious business. One day he'll hold us into account. But done biblically, that is managing God's resources, it is not a burden, but a joy. God doesn't want us paralyzed by decisions. He doesn't want us fretting and worrying all night about should I bought that brand or that other one. He wants us to manage using biblical principles and do it not as a burden, but with joy. Secondly, God gives his Christians great freedom in how they spend money. I think that's the thing I want you to take away from. God gives you a lot of freedom. But of course, speaking of Memorial Day and the freedoms we enjoy, we enjoy because of the suffering and sacrifice of others, there's always great responsibility with great freedom. Here's something to remember about God. He's not a miser. He's not close-fisted to his children's needs. God delights in meeting the needs of his children and giving them good gifts. It's not just that he wants to give you the minimum. Many times he chooses in his sovereignty to give you great gifts above that. But realize those things are not what we're to worship or trust in, but the God who gives all things freely. Hear this. There's a warning, though. God warns against wrong thinking and wrong behavior concerning money. There's plenty of warnings in the Scripture. We need to read those and think about them often. So what I say to our staff all the time is about 80% of what we're to do as pastors is to model for the congregation right behavior, right speech, right attitudes about everything. And, and so we have tried to model in the spending of the resources that have come into this church how we believe that every individual Christian is to view money. And number one, we have a budget. That is, we have a plan of strategy. Remember, it was to spend money strategically, thoughtfully, and wisely. And so that's why every year our budget committee gets together and each staff member presents their budget. It's vetted. And then we bring that to the church for your approval. And so uh, in a couple of weeks on Wednesday night, we're going to vote to approve next year's fiscal year, which starts on July 1st. But we have a plan. Secondly, even though we have that plan in place, we depend on God day to day and week to week through prayer to meet the needs of the church. Dr. Patterson, my predecessor, I can remember sitting in staff meetings with him when we had some lean times financially in the church. And one of the staff members was told he couldn't spend any money that week. And this young staff member said, well, I've got it in my budget. And Dr. Patterson said, take that down to Walmart and hand it to him and see if he'll let you spend that budget. 
A budget is just a, a plan of spending. But how that budget is funded, we pray and we depend on by faith. You didn't get a bill in the mail this week for your part in funding the budget. We pray that the Lord would individually lead you of what your part is to be in that. And then, just like we ask you to do, we have a, a, a strategy and a system of saving. Several years ago, again, in some lean times, our finance committee led us to do something I think was very wise. They said, when we get to a certain level of reserves, we've got to make some cuts around here. And, and they determined that, that was three months of cash reserves. When we have get down below three months of, of, of spending around here, we're going to have to cut back. Now, thankfully, we never got there. But someone said at that meeting, well, if we're going to have a floor, we've got to have a ceiling. Because God didn't design a church to, to save money. So what is wise? What is prudent? And, and again, the Lord gives us a lot of freedom. He doesn't prescribe this in the scripture. But we thought it was wise to have between three and six months of cash reserves. And, and I'm happy to report today we're right at that six months. So, so we're not trying to see how much money we can save. So when we get to a certain point, we spend it or we give it away. And I think that's what I mean when I say in your individual planning, have a finish line. And when you get to that finish line, have a big time giving it away and investing it in the kingdom of God. Now, the really personal one, how do we use debt? You all remember there was a time when our church had a lot of debt. And we began to work hard. And three years ago, March, thank the Lord, I took down our last mortgage payment to Frost Bank and handed it to them personally. And for three years, we've been debt free. And that debt freedom has given us so much freedom to plant churches and to invest heavily in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not saying we'll never take out a mortgage again. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we are committed to using debt wisely and rarely. And so we've put sort of some fences for that in our church that you might consider adopting into your personal life. We said we're only going to borrow money for an appreciating asset, right? A building. Two, we're going to have to raise 50% of the projected cost up front because the Bible says you have to count the cost. We don't want to put ourselves in a bind where we can't take care of our staff and fund the ministries of the church because of debt. And thirdly, we will only borrow at a maximum twice our annual budget. The, the general business stats tell you three times is safe. We've backed off of that and said two times as much as we will, will do. Now, why do I say all that? Not to pat ourselves on the back, but to say we are committed as a staff and as a church family to practicing biblical principles of stewardship. Yes, we want to meet the needs of the staff and give money to the needy and invest in the kingdom of God, supporting missionaries and church planners. But let's get even more personal, if that's possible, this morning before we go. I know there's some people sitting here today and you've never even given much thought to how you spend your money. Your mindset has been, my money is my own. What's God have to say about it? Well, he has lots to say about it, as we've seen these past four weeks, far more than we've said. So what if you're starting today from zero, and you want to start honoring the Lord with your possessions? You all know Jack Gatewood retired last month, and I said when we honored him that he... Um, 
helped Melissa and I with premarital counseling eight year, 18 years ago when we got to get married. Now, Jack is one of those people that keeps all of his records. And so last week, he brought me by a file that had his notes on our premarital counseling. Now, I may want to shred some of those. So I haven't had a chance to look at them yet. But one of his sessions was on stewardship. And he said, this is what I would advise a young couple like yourself as it relates to money. Here's a good starting place. Give away 10%, save 10%, and live on 80%. Now, that's not in the Bible. That's a good starting place. That's what I'd say to you today. If this is all new to you, you've never given any thought to your stewardship, start there. Say, we're going to start giving away 10% of our income. We're going to save 10%, and then we're going to live on 80%. That's a starting point, not a finish line, because that sounds a lot like tithing, didn't it? But tithing is like training wheels. Now, I said I don't teach tithing. I didn't say I don't practice tithing. I do practice tithing. But all of my children learned to ride a bicycle starting with training wheels. But there comes a time when it's time to take the training wheels off and go. I, I know a man who lives on 10% and gives away 90 the Lord, the Lord has blessed him to do that. I know not all of us can do that. But 10% is not something we check off the box and say, now God's out of my business. I can do with the rest what I want. No, it's, it's a recognition that everything is his and that you want to be a good steward with it. Now, um, there is joy in this kind of living. There's freedom in this kind of living. I know I've watched my parents do it. I've watched my in-laws do it. I've watched my wife's and my grandparents do it. Six years ago, um, my wife's maternal grandfather uh, became ill. He was in his 90s. He'd been a pastor for 50 years at the same church. And he would come down here in the winter from upstate New York because the winters were so harsh. And one of those winters, while he was here, he passed away. But before he did, he had the greatest time giving away money. You remember that? <laughs> he would sit down at the kitchen table with the biggest smile on his face. Now, when you're a Baptist pastor in a small church for 50 years, you don't have millions and millions. But when you live to be 90-something years old, chances are you've accrued a little something. And he had the greatest time while he was alive, sending money to missionaries and to church plants and to organizations that he knew were advancing the kingdom of God. That's what I'm saying. Don't miss the joy of generosity. That's what Paul said when he says it's more blessed to give than to receive and do it in your lifetime. You've all read the articles. There's getting ready to be the greatest transfer of wealth in human history baby boomers that did well in business and in the professional lives are now retiring. And on the other side of retirement, of course, <laughs> there's death. And they've accrued trillions and trillions in assets. And now the question is, how are we going to transfer that wealth to the next generation? Someone sent me a cartoon the other day, I think summarized it. It was of a man standing in front of a 20 by 10 storage locker that we have all over town. It's bulging with junk. It's just falling out. And he looks to his middle-aged son and says, son, one day all of this will be yours. <laughs> but it's not just the stuff. It's the money and it's the financial assets. And if you are in that category, I would encourage you to think about the message today. To be generous 
to give to those causes. Yes, the Bible says a good man gives an inheritance to his children. But invest while you're living in those causes that advance the kingdom of God. We all were taught as Baptists to tithe off of income, right? 10% of every paycheck. And that, that's a good starting place, as we said. What about giving off your net worth? What about saying, Lord, of all the things I've accumulated in your lifetime, I want to invest this in your kingdom before I die. That's what Dr. Foster did. And I never saw him regret it. He had the biggest smile on his face every day, every time he did it, because there is joy in obedience to the Lord. Let's pray and ask his help. Father in heaven, we have talked about some of the most personal things in the world today. And I thank you for this congregation uh, who is so faithful to listen to that. But Father, we want to be doers of your word and not just hearers. And Father, I have been convicted in my own life in the past months as I've prepared these messages. There is great freedom and liberty in Christ, but there's also great responsibility. Father, we are committed as a congregation to glorify you in all things, including how we spend money. And we know we never get it perfectly right. So Lord, help us. Give us wisdom in the year ahead as we start a new fiscal year on July 1st that greater than ever before, that we would be wise and strategic and generous, and prayerful and thoughtful. Lord, I pray that would be true in our corporate life. I pray it would be true in my own life and in the lives of every individual Christian. Father, it is a great blessing to live in this country. Not only are we free, but you've blessed us with material possessions. And Lord, with that comes great responsibility. So Father, help us to hear from you one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.